Hey, uh, open your Bibles, oops, please, to uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, John chapter 14. And uh, Jerry, we started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're all the way to chapter 14 now, and that's kind of how we do it over here. So here we are in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, and we pick up our story in verse 7. Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room uh, on the last night of Jesus' earthly uh, life. He continues his uh, monologue here, his dialogue. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, back when I was uh, kind of a floundering uh, youth, um, I did a short stint at my father's company, uh, less than a year. And um, and uh, when I say my father's company, he was like inside in the office. Hey, can we try to jam that door shut? Thank you so much. He was inside in the office stuff. I was out in the warehouse in the shop and, and uh, doing a lot of dirty work. And so I was like moving bricks for bricklayers and uh, just doing a lot of heavy grunt uh, young people work. Uh, and then I got this opportunity one day uh, to, dr- to take payroll down to Calumet City. It was like, look, somebody's got to take payroll down to Calumet City because there was some kind of strike or some kind of thing going on. And, you know, Calumet City is, is south of Chicago. It's... Uh, it's a subdivision. It's a suburb of Chicago, but it it, it touches uh, the border of Indiana. All right, so it's way south of Chicago. It touches the border of Indiana, and I've got to drive down to Calumet City, and I've got this leather zipper thing, and it's got payroll in it for all these people. And like I say, there was something going on, like a strike or something scary uh, was going on, and I so I, I drive down there. And I come up, and there's all these like burly, construction-y people. I mean, my dad worked with people named uh, Shanahan and Scotty and Big John Lubrich and Ted Castelluca. Uh, uh, anyway, lots of like multisyllabic names, big burly northern guys. And I, I, drive, I drive up to this job site in Calumet City, and there's this like picketing people, and people are angry. And I think my dad's guys were scabs they were working or something. But anyway, I had the payroll, and I drive up. I'm like, hey, I got long hair, you know, hi, how are you? And uh, they're like, who are you? And it was just a very frightening thing to, to, to drive past all these big, burly, uh, scary-looking, dirty guys. And um, I said, uh, I'm Rudy Umloff's son. Everything changed. <laughs> I'm Rudy Umloff's son. Oh, oh, this way. And all of a sudden, they were all my buddies and everything. And of course, they knew I had the payroll, too, so that, that, that helped <laughs> uh, their attitude. But um, it was interesting how... I went from the scary kind of picket line uh, scenario to I'm Rudy Umlauf's son, and uh, all of a sudden everything was opened up. Uh, I was not only an emissary 
but I was a son. I mean, they were glad I had the payroll, but I was really a son, and that said a lot of, of things. Now, uh, earthly illustrations fall apart very quickly when you're trying to describe heavenly things, and this is one of those things where uh, it falls apart quickly. I am merely the created offspring of Rudy Umloff, all right? The main idea of this passage I would love for you to walk away with is this. Jesus is not just the Son of God, but God the Son. <laughs> uh, Jesus was begotten, not made. He was born, not created. Jesus is God of God, and Jesus is, does, and always has upheld the universe by the word of his power. He's not just a son of God. He is God the Son. Uh, he did take upon himself a human form. He becomes fully human, while at the same time, he is remaining fully God. And there are quite a few heresies built around the misunderstanding of all that, and quite a few religious systems, by the way that are false because they miss that fundamental reality that Jesus is God the Son. If you walk away from the Gospel of John with one thing, I mean, there's, there's, it's such a rich gospel, and I, I don't know about you, but I've just found it to be so refreshing. Years ago, you know, we taught through the Gospel of Mark. Did you know that? Like back in, I think, 2010, we taught through the Gospel of Mark in here. And that's a very short gospel. It was the first gospel. It's uh, kind of an emotional gospel. It's a speedy gospel. There's lots of action and the Gospel of John is different, and one of the things that makes it so different is the, the stress on the divinity of Jesus, as well as uh, Jesus carrying out the work of the Father, the harmony between God the Son and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit working out this great salvation. And so Jesus is God. If you hear anything about the Gospel of John, hear that, that Jesus is God. He is God the Son. Uh, and that's not me stuffing my preconceptions into it. That's me giving you the cure to cancer, uh, spiritual cancer. Jesus is God the Son. The reason the deity of Jesus is so important is uh, that what we need, what a sinner needs to be able to be in God's presence is a righteousness that is acceptable to him. Well, uh, guess who can give you that? God the Son. God the Son can provide you the righteousness that will make you acceptable to be uh, in God's presence, uh, the, the sinlessness and righteousness of Jesus imputed to your account, not imparted, imputed to your account. Uh, Jesus does that. So Jesus is not just the Son of God. He's God the Son. Uh, the sinner needs a righteousness that is acceptable to God, and Jesus can give you that. All right, let's go to our first point. There's just three of them. Enough already. Uh, we pick up the story mid-conversation. We saw previously that Jesus is talking to his disciples, and uh, he says in verse 33, the end of it, if you look at up chapter 13, verse 33, uh, little children, I'll be with you just a little while longer. You'll seek me just as I said to the Jews. So also I say to you, here it is, where I am going, you cannot come. And uh, Peter hears that. Jesus says some other important stuff, but all Peter locks onto is uh, th that one thing. And, and so Peter says with great vigor um, in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answers him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Uh, I will lay down my life for you. And of course, uh, what an ironic statement. Um, Jesus is going, you, will you really lay down your life for me? That's really, that's really how you think it's going to go, that you're going to lay down your life for me. You've got it completely backward. I'm going to lay down my life for you, and by the way, you're going to deny, deny me three times before the sun even comes up. 
It's nighttime right now. You're going to deny me three times before the sun even comes up. He's saying, you're going to lay down your life for me. It's pretty amazing. Well, all the disciples hear that. Okay, it's not just some little private conversation. Jesus is addressing the 11. This is without Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot is already gone. He, the machinery is already in place. He's, gonna, he's going to betray Jesus. All right, so Jesus is addressing the, uh, the 11. They all hear this exchange with Peter, and, um, and uh, Jesus then comforts them. I mean, it's got to be very disturbing. Nothing ever Jesus ever said didn't come true. Nothing even Jesus ever said wasn't true. And he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the sun comes up. Well, that's pretty heavy-duty, man. And they're, they're kind of stunned. Well, Jesus comforts them. And notice how he comforts them. He says this in verse 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. He's talking about heaven. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that uh, where I am, you may be also. He's preparing them for his departure. And he's saying, don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And by the way, why would I do that if I'm not coming to get you? I'm coming back to get you. I mean, that's comforting in a a time where they're hearing all this stuff uh, about Jesus' departure and these scary things that he's saying. And then Thomas says to him in verse 5, oh yeah, in verse verse 4, Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he adds, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, remember what is happening here. Jesus has dedicated the last hours of his freedom to prepare the disciples for his departure. And he is uh, giving to them things that they will recall later and things that they must discuss now. And Philip takes the bait. Jesus wants them to reason. He wants them to dialogue. He, he's speaking in a way that is drawing them into discussion. And Philip takes the bait. And Philip says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Now, let's hit the pause button for just a second and remember that uh, the disciples, you know, they, they don't fully understand Jesus. And they blow it, and uh, they, they do dumb stuff like argue about who's the greatest in the kingdom and, and, and all that. And, and so they, they don't fully understand what's, what, what's going on with Jesus. And obviously from our passage here, they don't quite get uh, what Jesus is all about. However, um, don't forget that you don't have to turn, but in, in chapter 1 of this, of this book, um, um, uh, it says this in verse 40 of chapter 1. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He uh, goes to Simon and says to Simon Peter, check this out, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. That's pretty wild from the, from the beginning. Uh, Peter's brother runs to him and says, hey, we found the Messiah. I mean, like the Messiah. I mean, like the one that the prophets and Moses uh, spoke toward um, we, we found the Messiah. It says the next day, they, uh, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Uh, he found Philip. Oh, there's our guy. Uh, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
And so all I'm saying is, even though the disciples don't totally get Jesus and what's happening here, and that's why Jesus is dialoguing with them, they don't quite understand it. They at least have some Holy Spirit-fueled grasp of, of, they have a kernel of of, uh, who this Jesus is because the Holy Spirit of God uh, was at work in them. And so Jesus is talking to these guys in the upper room who believe in him. They believe in him, not perfectly, but they believe in him. They believe specific things about him. Yet, you see how much they still don't know. Philip, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. This is Jesus the day before he's going to be put on trial and crucified. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. I mean, and Jesus is going, you still don't, you still don't understand. You still don't understand this Jesus is God stuff and how I'm related to the Father stuff, how, I, how I'm in cooperation on a mission sent by the Father stuff. What Philip is asking for, apparently, is some kind of theophany. And you know what a theophany is? It is an appearance of God. It is some kind of mysterious appearance of God. Um, you know, Moses uh, has one. You remember when Moses, um, he, says to, he says to God, um, please show me your glory. And then God passes in, by him. Um, you know, the NIV says, now show me your glory. And the New American Standard, I, I, I just love, that's my, my wife has that, that's why I'm looking at her. I pray thee, show me thy glory. I pray thee. I mean, Moses, he wants to see God's glory. And God says this, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And he hides Moses in the cleft of a rock and passes by him. By the way, just as an aside, can you imagine? You know, we read that about Moses and we go, oh yeah, God's glory passed in front of him. Oh yeah, I've read that a million times. Oh yeah, rock of ages, cleft for me. Oh yeah, that's where they get that. Pretty cool. Um, think about that though. I will make all my goodness pass before you. Is that not a cause for worship? That God would pass his good. What is it to, what is it to be in God's presence and have his goodness pass in front of you? Uh, and he says, I, Moses, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. What a thing. And again, I'm straying from my notes, but guys, what a thing to look forward to in heaven. Um, one of the uh, motivations for handling God's word and one of the reasons it, it, makes you, it makes you want to continue doing it, even when it's hard, is that you look out at the room and you go, you know, God's people are so often hurting and so often feel dirty and guilty. And to, to, be, to be privy to God's goodness and His cleansing, what a thing is this gospel and what a thing to look forward to in heaven that will be in the presence of his goodness and there will be no dirty anymore. Anyway, Elijah also had a, a theophany, a theophanic, a theophanic um, experience in 1 Kings 19. Also Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel also uh, experienced a theophany, some kind of theophanic uh, representation of God. And so Philip is basically saying here, he's saying, Lord, 
show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Basically saying, you know the thing with Moses? You know, God would just, you know, pass His glory in front of us. That'll be enough for us. That'll be great. And uh, Jesus says in verse 9 then, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You want God's goodness to pass in front of you, do you? It's me, Jesus. You want God to make manifest His name? It's His Christ right in your midst. By the way, when Jesus, this is just a little side note, when Jesus answers Philip in verse 9, Jesus said to him, he says to Philip, have I been with you? That first you is really plural, y'all, which I wish Bible translators would just use y'all because it's a super awesome, useful word. Uh, Jesus said to him, have I been with y'all so long? And now he goes back to Philip, and you, Philip, still do not know me. I've been with y'all so uh, this three years, every day. And you, Philip, you still don't know me? Well, many a person has uh, used this excellent uh, lesson from chapter 20. And if, so if you would flip ahead, I just want to show you a couple things, literally like literally four pages. Um, flip ahead uh, to chapter 20 of John's gospel. Look at um, verse 5. So the, Jesus is resurrected, and the tomb is empty. And uh, the dis- disciples, the, w- the women go look, and then the disciples are running together. Look at verse 4. Um, uh, both of them, that's John and Peter, are running together. But the other disciple, that's John, he's, hum- he's writing this gospel. He's speaking humbly about himself. He- he's the other disciple. He's the disciple Jesus, God- Jesus loved. Uh, he's-, he's tucking himself away in the narrative. But so John and Peter are running, and uh, John gets there first. And uh, stooping to look in... He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Now, that word he saw is a certain Greek word, and that certain Greek word uh, means that he viewed, he looked in, he viewed linen cloths. He viewed them. You know, they, they, they went into his eyes, and they did something to his retinas, and uh, he went, yeah, there's linen cloths. He viewed them. He saw, he saw them in that way. All right? That's one Greek word, blepo. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, uh, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. <coughs> this is a different word. It's a different Greek word. And uh, it doesn't mean just viewed. It means kind of puzzled over. He kind of was uh, stitching it together in his mind. He wondered, he pondered over it. He's like, wow, that's weird. Look at that. So uh, John sees, he views it. Uh, Peter sees, and he's kind, of, uh, he's kind of working it out. He's puzzling over it. And then it goes on in verse 8, and it says, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's John again, he went in, and he saw and believed. That's another word. So all three words <coughs> are saw, saw, and saw. But they're three different words. One is John views it and he goes, yeah, that's it. Well, look at that. And then uh, Peter views it and he goes, yeah, that's weird. Let me ponder that. Then it goes back to John again, and he sees 
and believes. And the, the, the idea of that word, that third word, is that he saw and understood. <coughs> oh, excuse me. That's awesome. Ron Goss does this for me every week, and it is so appreciated. He sees and believes. And what's cool, too, is he sees, and uh, this is often not preached or even understood. He sees the linen cloths that had been wrapped around a human body, and he's going, you can't get out of those things and leave them in that condition. I mean, wrapping linen cloths around a human body, yeah, 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 yeah. You can't just, you know, you got to unroll. And he's looking at the linen cloths laying there, and he's going, dang it. I'm assessing, I'm viewing it, I'm pondering it, but I'm understanding it. I'm seeing the linen cloths laying there, and I get it. I mean, I'm using my brain, my faculties, um, and I'm seeing that the only way a body can get out of that and leave those things in that condition is if that body's resurrected and no longer in those things anymore. Miraculously, he understands it, and he believes. The point is this. Jesus is talking to Philip and the disciples. He, um, he's saying, have I been with you so long? You still don't know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Same word. If you size it up and you drink it in and you process it and you wrap your heart around it and you see me in that way, you've seen the Father. Same word in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Application for your life. Um, this, this sounds like a loose connection, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to mush it together. You know, we sing a song, uh, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. Uh, in fact, it's not the original hymn uh, version. You know, the, uh, hymns in that era all sound like the Mickey Mouse theme. Here I, oh, Mighty Mouse. Here I come to save the day. They all kind of sound like it. And so we, we have, My faith has found a resting place. A little more contemporary melody. But you know, the chorus goes, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I don't need any other argument. I don't need any other plea. I don't need to bring any stuff. It is enough that Jesus died for me and saved me. Well, you know, Obviously, I'm, I'm latching on to that because Philip says, Lord, uh, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. I mean, that's what put that song in my head, of course. But do you see, ladies and gentlemen, that it is enough to know Jesus? It is enough. Uh, people want to get close to God. They want to experience God. They want to understand God. They want to have a personal relationship with God. It is enough to know this Jesus. And not only that, the reason it is possible is uh, th- that uh, Jesus is there interceding uh, because he has saved us and he has made a way unto the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the question I ask your soul this morning is, is Jesus enough for you? Do you, do you still want to add things to the gospel and grapple with it and try harder and harder? Listen, Does God want us to obey? Of course. 
But that's not how you come to the that's not how you come to the cross. You come to the cross naked. Naked and afraid. And God supplies everything in Jesus. All right. Uh, second point. Like father, like son. Now, I got to be careful right away because, uh, again, that's, we use that earthly expression with a nod and a smile, you know, like father, like son, ha, ha, ha. You know, when I visit um, my parents up north and I show up, everybody sees my dad and then they look at me and they go, wow, you are your father's son because I look just like my dad. In fact, um, you know, when I was up there last a week, well, a week, a week and a day ago, um, I uh, gave him a haircut and I trimmed them up and groomed them and shaved them, and I, I clipped, I've never trimmed anybody else's fingernails before. You ever done that? Uh, yeah, every mom in here has done it, uh, but uh, have you ever trimmed a, an, an 84-year-old man's fingernails? Oh, you have you? You know, it's a trip, isn't it? Um, and, you know, my, my dad's fingers, they look worse than Keith Richards. Uh, they're all just knobby and twisty and arthritic and weird, but, you know, as I'm trimming his fingers, I'm like, I'm holding my dad's hands, you know, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, they, they look exactly like my hands, except not, not arthritic. Mine will look like that soon enough. But my hands look exactly like my dad's hands. It was so strange holding my dad's hand in my own hand going, these look exactly the same. It's wild. Anyway, so like father, like son, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a common expression. But, you know, Jesus is not saying that he is similar to the father. He's not saying I'm the spitting image of the Father. He's not saying, I'm an adequate substitute. He is saying, I and the Father are one. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I'm doing everything that the Father gave me. I'm I'm speaking on His authority. He's talking about the unity within the Godhead, not just that He resembles. Uh, Hebrews uh, 1 says that He's the exact imprint, the exact representation of the Father. In theological circles, you would say, um, you know, there's a de- I've, I've told you this before, there's a debate on whether or not to say they're of the same essence. Is essence really a correct word? Um, they share the same attributes. That would be accurate. Uh, but the, the, a seminary professor told me one time, and I've told you this before, that the best word he could think of uh, is to say that Jesus is of the same stuff as the Father. The Father is of the same stuff as Jesus, whatever that means. They are, they are one. Uh, they are, they are, they are uh, connected within the Godhead. You know, the, Trini- the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Do you know that? You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible. But the Bible clearly teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. You can't read the Bible cover to cover without going, wow, there seems to be a plurality within God. And, uh, and there's a Father, God the Father. There's God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and there's this... There's this uh, this unity within the Godhead. One, one commentary writer said this, uh, Jesus grounded his revelation of the Father, speaking of mutual indwelling of the Father's being with his... Uh, I'm tripping that up. Jesus grounded his revelation of the Father, speaking of the mutual indwelling of the Father's being with his own. It's a lot of words to say I and the Father are one. Um, and the this, this same writer says, Jesus reveals God because he is God, all right? He's not, a, he's not an ambassador with charts and graphs saying God is like this. Jesus is saying, I represent God because I am God. Um, you know, I, I, 
people will ask me cooking questions, which I absolutely love. I can answer almost any cooking question. And um, ingredients and techniques and, uh, you know, sometimes people ask me a question, I'm looking it up on Google, uh, and then, you know, it sounds smart. But, uh, but and, uh, the main question people ask me is about knives, and I've, I, can, I can advise people on what knives to get and stuff. In fact, somebody just asked me last week, uh, he's an usher, I mean a greeter, and I just saw him, and I said, hey, did you get that knife? He goes, yeah, I sure did. Oh, I got that knife. Thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. But let me tell you something about kitchen knives. You never, I mean, I've got good kitchen knives. I've had good kitchen knives for a long, long time. But when I got a good cutting board, those good kitchen knives, it was transformative. I was like, I've been doing stuff in a kitchen since I was a kid. And when I got an, you know what an end grain cutting board is? All right, I'm straying. But I'm, if you took a two by four and you shined it this way, where you're just looking at the top part of the two by four, you know, and you glued a whole bunch of two by fours together, and then you slice that off, that's an end grain cutting board because it's the, all the open fibers. And so when that knife goes in there, it opens, it goes through the cutting board and then closes up again, through the cutting board and closes up again. It'll last for 50 years without, without, without falling apart because it just self-heals. It is transformative. I'm telling you, everything I never thought about, knives and cutting and knife technique, changed when I got a good cutting board. It changed absolutely everything. Well, all that to say this, you don't understand Yahweh until you know this Jesus. Completely transformative. You don't understand Yahweh until you know this Jesus. And that was a staggering thing uh, to preach. Um, when Jesus shows up on the scene, it was, it was a shocking message. And the message is just as shocking today, that no person has ever worshipped Yahweh properly without the Lord Christ. You cannot truly understand or worship Yahweh without viewing and worshiping Yahweh through His anointed. You know, <clears throat> application for your life. I counted 23 times that Jesus talks about his being sent by the Father and being on a mission and saying the words that God say, gave him to say, the Father gave him to say, and carrying out the work that the Father gave him to do. There may be more, but I counted 23 times that Jesus says that. You know, in, at the end of verse 10, uh, Jesus says, do you not believe that I'm, I am the Father, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his work. People want to experience God. Good. That's a healthy thing. We should want to experience God. People want to know God. Good. That's what Jesus says eternal life is, that they may know God. But the only way to know God is through the salvation that he provided in Jesus Christ the Son. And that brings us nicely to our last point, which is this. Seeing is believing. <laughs> Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. In other words, he's saying, hey, 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 all right, to, to illustrate, just look at the, the last three years of my life with you guys. I've done supernatural stuff that can only be done by someone who's divine. I'm asking you to believe that I'm in the Father uh, and the Father's in me, but I'm not asking you to believe without proof. Just simply observe my lived life, saith Jesus, and the works that I have done. And one more thing before we close. Um, when he says, believe in me that I, believe me that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. 
It's not, he's not saying to them, believe for the first time. He's not saying that. He's saying believe with a sense that they already do believe. He's saying now, step on the gas pedal and, and take it on home. Take it the whole way. Believe what you already believe. Continue to believe. An application for our lives is this. You may have heard this in your lifetime. It's great advice that we're to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again. You ever heard that? Preach the gospel to yourself every day. What do you think you're doing here right now? The gospel is being preached to you. What do you think you're doing out there when you're singing songs? Just little melodies. Ooh, doo, 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 doo. Or are you preaching the gospel to yourself? By the way, I'm a worship leader, and uh, there's a lot of crummy songs out there that don't say a whole lot. You know what they need to be saying? They need to be preaching the gospel. You know, all of its uh, various ways to do that, they need to be preaching the gospel. What do you think gathered worship is? What do you think Bible study is? What do you think a gospel focus on everything you encounter in life is? It is preaching the gospel to yourself every day. You know, my mother-in-law used to drive, since it's Mother's Day, this just popped in my head. I mean, didn't she used to say, be driving on the road, and she'd shout out the window. She'd see a bird, or she'd see the trees changing colors in the fall, and she'd go, you're beautiful. <laughs> Is that not a precious little memory? She'd call it out at things that she saw in nature. You're beautiful. Well, what, she wasn't just saying, oh, that's pretty. I like that. Mm, visually acceptable. She was, she was preaching the gospel to our soul. The God who made that made me. The God who tends to these birds tends to me. It's a preaching of the gospel to the soul. All right, last thing and we'll close. Um, I um, have a blob of keys like a lot of you do. And uh, some of you have big, humongous blobs of keys. I bet you've got a big wad of keys, don't you? No, you're a CEO. you got one. There's a, <laughs> there's a line <laughs> Yeah, important people, they go from a big blob of keys, and all of a sudden they just have one in a file folder. You know, that's it. Clean car, you know. But, but you know, I, there have been times where I've had a big, when I worked for Terminex especially, man, there were just locks all over the place. And I was like, remember Schneider on that, what was that, one day at a time? He had the, those keys on the string, you know, he got this big blob of keys. You know, folks, only one key opens up the door to your home. You had a lot of keys for a lot of stuff. Only one key opens up the door to their home. And it's no small thing um, that, you know, in, in Revelation uh, 3, 7 and Isaiah twenty two twenty two, it cites uh, the key of David, this expression, the key of David. And uh, in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, it talks about, um, oh yeah, I've got the list. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high. I wish I could hit this harder. And path to misery. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He is the key. He's the key of David that open wides our heavenly, opens wide our heavenly home and makes safe the path and closes out misery. Let's pray. 
<clears throat> Holy Father, we thank you that you have not given up on creation, but that you have um, redeemed your creation, that you have sent a redeemer, you sent a rescuer to those who were drowning, you sent a rescuer to those who were sentenced to death, and deservedly so, and you made uh, a way unto yourself, and because of this Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect life and laid it down on a cross as an innocent one who took upon the guilt of the, of the sinners. Because of that, O oh God, the, 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 the path of misery is, is, is going to be eternally closed. We look forward to that day, Lord, when we sin no more. We look forward to that time when we see you in your glory and we know your goodness in its fullness as it washes over us. Um, but until then, oh God, protect your lambs, gather us up, and um, cause us to fall more um, deeply loving toward you. Uh, for we pray it in Christ's name and in, uh, for his glory. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Happy Mother's Day, everyone.